Amen, amen, amen. I love praising the Lord. Amen. Good morning, Ridgecrest family. Good morning, visitors. Good morning, those online. Uh, um, I'm your guest speaker today. Those of you who may be visiting this morning, our senior master, pastor, Matt Beasley, who you may normally see, has taken a well-deserved uh, time off today. Uh, so, just want you to know the standard Texas church rule is at play this week. So, if this is your first week here, you have to come back next week to hear Matt Beasley uh, speak next week, to hear him preach. But my name is Jeremy Coddington, and I'm one of the elders here at Ridgecrest. Uh, serve with uh, some tremendous leaders and uh, love our church, love our community, the amazing ministries that take place in our church. Uh, are, we're so excited about Delane and I, are, my wife Delane and I. And we long to see the gospel take root stronger in our walk every day, in our church, in all the churches of our community, in the hearts of the believers that God's going to use to change and transform our church, our community, uh, our culture, and the whole world. Uh, we missed you last week. Delane and I were in the nursery, and I want to tell you, your children are very entertaining. Um, we don't have kids at home anymore. Uh, we have grandkids, uh, but we look forward to them coming. But even then, most of them are outside of the nursery age. So this is, it's a very special time for us to get to uh, share uh, uh, with your children. And we got to see the baby dedication later. I'm really grateful for the live stream that they recorded. Thank you guys for doing that. Um, we got to see the families dedicate their children, and more importantly, dedicate themselves to taking what God has invested in the parents and in the families and sharing that life, sharing the word of Jesus and the life of Christ with their children and putting the word of God in them and before them. Uh, that was really exciting for us to watch. Um, before I get started, I want you to know I'm not a great multitasker. So you, um, you may notice that my ability to preach and my ability to pay attention to time uh, don't, don't really exist in my brain at the same time, or they don't, they're not on the same thread, okay? So um, in case later on in the sermon you hear um, Delane proclaim really loudly, amen, like at a really inopportune time, uh, that's our signal because she's way back there. I'm not going to see her with the, even with my good glasses on. So that's going to be her signal. And if I miss that because my ears aren't all that they used to be, Mitchell's going to turn the lights off at 1230. So <laughs> actually before then, they'd be delivering the children from the nursery back in here. So we'll see that. No, I'm very excited uh, to uh, share the word with you today. Um, this morning, I love this theme that we're on in 1 Thessalonians, lasting hope in uncertain times. And it really fits where we are today. Um, we are in a, some uncertain days. There's a lot of uh, difficulty going on in our world. If you haven't experienced any personally, get ready. Um, it, life, life is difficult. But the hope of Christ is eternal, and it is living. And uh, that's what we're going to look at again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 this morning. So we'll be looking at a section between verses 13 and 16. So if you want to start making your way there, that's great. Um, in the weeks leading up to today, we see that Paul's described the deeply caring and committed way that he and his companions came to the Thessalonians. Um, he then defended the way that they came. He made sure that they 
pointed out that there was no motivation other than that to please God and their amazing deep affection for the Thessalonians. They really love the Thessalonian people. Then last week in verses 9 through 12, we recall that Paul reminded the Thessalonians of what the ministry looked like in their midst. And not to forget that they were witnesses of what Paul did and those with him. And they were like fathers, very close relationship, um, so that uh, the Thessalonians might emulate um, as God's gospel continued to take root and to grow in them. They might emulate Paul. And for some of the Thessalonians, maybe even for the first time ever, they heard the fact that walking as a believer is a full-time calling, and there is no separation between your faith and your life. There's no separation between your faith and how you walk. And uh, today, we'll see Paul discussing um, what it is working deep inside of the Thessalonians that allowed them to walk in this manner worthy of God and help how that helps, keeps us sustained in the midst of sometimes consistent and surely undeserved persecution that will come. Uh, so let's go, Lord, in prayer as we prepare our hearts for the working of the Holy Spirit through the word in our midst. Lord, we come to you today and we are certainly aware, painfully aware of the difficulties that our brothers and sisters are having around the world. We see Ukraine and our hearts cry out. And when we see the war and we see those displaced, and Lord, we know of those who are there to share your word, who have given their lives for you, Lord, and we do pray for their peace, for their safety, and for their continued boldness, wherever you take them, God, that they would share the truth of who you are, that the word of God would come from them, and that those might believe and be changed. Lord, we pray also today for great awareness in our own midst of our need for you. Please take away our old will, our blinded minds, our vanity, our carnality, Lord, and our senseless hearts. Lord, let nothing in this world have dominion over us, but in your word today, grant each of us an awareness of the light and the hope that is in Christ alone. Lord, it's revealed for our salvation, for our sustaining of those who believe. Our great Alpha and Omega, turn our attention and our greatest affection to you. And as we worship you in, in this word, tune our hearts to always sing your praise. In Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bible with you or your electronic device, please turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, please feel free to take the one in front of you and the pew in front of you and use that one. And if you do not have a Bible, I ask that you would take that home with you as our church's gift to you so that you'll have a Bible uh, with you. Um, if you are not quite sure how to find 1 Thessalonians, uh, your Bible likely has a table of contents in the front. So if you go to that, 1 Thessalonians will be down the list a bit, and when you find that page in the, in the Bibles in the pews, you'll notice uh, when you get to that page that the large numbers are the chapters and the small numbers are the verses. And we're going to chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. So let's read that together. Beginning in verse 13, and we also... Thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus 
that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So it's always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. So we see in this section here, Paul begins this section in great thanksgiving, in continual thanksgiving to God. And this was the thanksgiving Paul was talking about that the Thessalonian believers had heard the word of God. They had received the word of God and they had accepted it not as a word from Paul and his companions, but as God's word itself. And then that it worked in them, and they believed. They were believers. So Paul was thankful that this word of God was at work in the Thessalonians because the God of the word had prepared them for the word and brought the word from Paul and from his companions, and then God worked in the Thessalonians. So Paul, this is a a commendation for the Thessalonians, surely. Paul was commending them. But he begins a section giving all praise and all thanks to God continually for the Thessalonians' response. And their response was ongoing and deep. So his thankfulness was ongoing and deep. The word without ceasing or continually is something you'll see a lot from Paul. If you read all the other epistles, you see that a lot. Paul is a constant prayer, a constant thanker of God. And this instance is the second of three times that we see Paul talking about being thankful to God in this epistle. And this idea, again, is this common for Paul. Prayer is common for Paul. It permeates his life. He knew that the work of proclaiming the gospel must be accompanied by prayer. He knew this, and he was grateful for the work God did in preparing the Thessalonian believers, so they might hear, receive, and accept God's living word that came from them. And Paul was only able to share because of what he knew he had received. He had received the living word of God from God himself. You see, we cannot share what we have not received. We can't share the word of God if we have not received the word of God and it's working in us. Something else about this thanksgiving, it really points to God as the main actor here. Uh, Shows us that the Thessalonian believers had nothing to boast in. They believed Paul was commending them for their faith, but they had nothing to boast in, nothing to claim as their own. These were not people with superpowers, with um, Einstein minds over spiritual matters, uh, where they could just comprehend the wonders of God more than their, their compadres Uh, So they were rewarded then for their awesomeness. That's not how it worked out. Uh, Paul thought very highly of the Thessalonians. He loved them. And man, we see more in chapters two, later in chapter two and onward, about the depth of his love for them. But the fundamental truth of the gospel that they expressed and lived, in the end, Paul didn't say, Thessalonians, you did all this, and so you rock. You guys know what that means, right? Okay. I know I'm kind of old to say that. But instead, he said, you believed, so God rocks. God, you are the one, and we need to praise you for this. And let me, let me um, rephrase that or translate that for you, because that probably doesn't sound right coming from someone with as little hair as I got. So, okay. Um, there was no magic quality to the Thessalonians. Their kids didn't have the best upbringings, therefore they believed. Um, they weren't 
given an ability far above those who didn't come to faith, uh, some ancient secret that gets shared with us too who can believe, some head start. Paul made it clear. God deserved all the glory, all the thanks. And, and him saving us and keeping us, holding us fast, calls for that to be a regular and humble, consistent gratefulness to his work in Christ that brings us to life and preserves us from the wrath to come. Brothers and sisters, just like Paul, we need to be engaged in that same sharing of the word, the gospel that we have received so that others can receive and accept and believe, thanking God and praising him for his work in us and through us. And we know just like the Thessalonians that as we share our faith, there will be some who believe and there will be some who will not believe. But our joy is in sharing, our love to share the gospel, share the word, and then immediately thanking God for giving us opportunities to share. Opportunities, these opportunities matter, and God sets those up for us. And saying, Lord, now that I've shared, I leave this in your hands. Because you're the one who's working in, in that word that's been shared to work in them so that they will receive, accept, and believe. This is tough for us, especially uh, when there's people that we love. We want to push some other plan, something else that we can do. What can we do, Lord, to get them to believe? We need a new script, maybe. We need to add on to, to what God has done. What else can we do? But our jobs in this as we love those around us and we love what God has given us to do, is to share that word and commit that to God in prayer. And then share and pray. And then share and then pray. And then share and to pray and to know that God is at work. He worked in you. He brought you to faith. Trust him and know that he is at work. Now God continued to work in in Paul and his companions throughout these incredible trials, even to get the words to the Thessalonians so they could hear the gospel. Listen to what Paul says about that in chapter 1, verses 5 and 6 again. He says, Because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Paul reminds the Thessalonians that their faith is not built on empty promises, not anchored on false hope. But their hope is anchored in Christ. And Christ who did the work in them and continues to work in them. Back in chapter 2, we see what the text declares now in verse 14 about what is to happen as the word does its work in the believers. And it is a blessing, but it's also something that is difficult because we see that in verse 14 of chapter 2, Paul says, For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. Now, already in chapter 1, verse 6, we see that the Thessalonians became imitators of Paul and his team and of the Lord himself. Now, we see that they've become imitators of the churches in Judea. The word of God changed their lives individually, and this impacted the entire church, so that now they look like the church of Judea and what they had been through. 
And the church of Judea was one that had to change direction from their own culture. They had a culture that was uh, much different uh, than after they believed. They had to... Um, they had a man-exalting background. Uh, they were part of the uh, Roman Empire. Caesar was king. Caesar was God. Uh, there was a lot of religious leaders that demanded their way. And what happened was they ha- were empowered to be believers, and that caused a radical change, and it was evident in their lives to their culture. People could see the change in their lives as individuals and then as the church. And then this imitation from the church of the Thessalonians looked now like the Judeans. It was because there was a radical transformation that was revealed in them as a church. And when I think about this imitation that that happens, it reminds me of the time I spent in the Air Force in foreign language school. Caleb and I were talking about a little bit of language stuff this morning. Um, So for 52 weeks when I was in the Air Force, we went through this uh, Russian language training program. And the way they did that, they did a a program, they had this concept of total immersion where all of our interactions had to be in Russian throughout the day. So if you couldn't talk, you couldn't get water, you couldn't go to lunch. So you had to learn quickly about how these things worked out. And we had instructors from people all across what at the time was the Soviet Union, if I remember those days. I think we see them again a little bit reflected in the news. But So they had people from different parts of their culture. They picked individuals from a range of backgrounds as well as our instructors. Farmers, teachers, uh, politicians, a dancer, a merchant marine guy who jumped ship in the Indian Ocean. Great stories that these people all had. And their cultures that they came from were all different. So we read their newspapers. We sung their songs. We listened to their broadcasts. And then they contextualized their language for us in, in their, the context of their culture. And even uh, later on, as we began to study at night, the students would talk in Russian. That would be all that we did. So by the time we got to the near to the end of class, most people were even dreaming in this foreign language. It became part of who we were. Um, so we imitated the instructors in their speech patterns and how they approached certain subjects from that Soviet perspective to understand more than just one, two, three. But what does one, two, three mean in the context of this culture and this part of it to see what it was like? And I would suggest that this is similar to the work of God through his work in us. In a sense, as the word of God takes hold of us, we become immersed in our real home in Christ. We are made into a new creation and we know that we are now aliens where we live now. We learn a new language that allows us to call God our Father, that changes how we act, how we speak, how we look less and less like the world as we look more and more like Jesus. As the Word of God works in us, lives in us, and loves others through us, the change occurs. So the Thessalonians were changed, and we see then how they imitated these churches from Judea. And the representation of that, the manifestation of that was through suffering, through suffering, suffering for who they were in Christ, suffering as believers. Now, we know that generalized suffering um, isn't in itself a sign of godliness. Lots of people suffer who don't know the Lord, but it is a sign of the sin of man. We see that kind of suffering produced clearly in that, uh, the nation of Ukraine, the war-torn Ukraine, as 
We see more than a million people now have traversed out of that war-torn country, a country about the size of Texas, um, carrying almost nothing with them. Imagine Dallas and our surrounding areas being attacked, and we had to walk, hitchhike, ride, uh, rely on the goodness of strangers, hide out in the bushes, jump in the back of vans, go without food and water for days, traveling the distance from maybe Dallas to New York uh, to find safety, mostly with children, with babies, and without the men who were staying behind to fight. This is what many in Ukraine have done, and this is certainly suffering, but it's suffering because of what the heart of man is. And we should pray and work toward the relief of that suffering and others that we see. But in our sin nature, we see that on display in countless other ways as well, much more subtle ways typically that are acceptable culturally and sometimes even in our religion. But this type of suffering that Paul describes here is the kind that came from the fact that they are now different than their fellow countrymen. They believed in Christ. They would no longer worship Caesar. They were devoted to loving God and loving one another. We can see in Acts 17 how quickly this caused division within the community that went to Jason's house, dragged out of his home, thrown into the streets, taken before the city leaders, the magistrates, accused of turning the world upside down, and then money taken from them, ransom, so they could go back home. This is, your, this is their introduction to belief, that God has changed them, and now they have these enemies that have come against them, these agitators, and it didn't end there. This was a continual thing that continued to happen. We see that even when Paul and Silas left Thessalonica for Berea and Acts, some of those same activists, they followed them to Berea and agitated them to stir up those who were hearing the words. So this suffering for believers of the types of attack brought our way to cause us to lose hope in Christ, to stop us from sharing the gospel and experiencing that continued life of, of the word of God alive in us. Uh, maybe a military term here is good to use. This was a persistent threat, and it's a persistent threat that lives still today. Uh, those agitators kept coming and coming, and it may seem to you at times like it's over, like they left, like there's a respite. Uh, but we know that until the day of the Lord Jesus, when he returns, we know that animosity toward the gospel will persist. But we can take heart and experience a living hope in Christ because as believers, we don't suffer as, uh, suffer as those who have no hope. Remember in chapter 1, verse 3, we're reminded that Paul said that he thanked God, remembering before God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. This is why. It's so important for the bedrock of our faith to be the very word of God that's revealed in Scripture, that is alive and active, that is empowered by the Holy Spirit to convict and draw us to Christ. And that must be what is working inside of us, not our own derivation of what that word should be. Anything other than God's word will be devoid of life and devoid of hope, which we must have in the midst of difficulty, which is what God gives us in the midst of difficulty. So please remember this. You can, we cannot separate the word of God from the God of the word. We cannot, we simply cannot separate the word of God from the God of the word because as God lives, so does his word. 
As we see in John chapter 1, we see Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus himself, the living word of God. And in this, we have our hope. This can't again be our own version that capitulates to some cultural demand or that's willing to compromise the foundation of truth for some expediency in dealing with today's problem du jour. This kind of hope that God provides is one that is founded in his word and it can be counterfeited but never replaced. And counterfeit hope is no hope at all. And when people hang on to a counterfeit hope, they're hanging on to emptiness and they're not hanging on to Christ. The work of faith that Paul described in chapter 1 and verse 3, along with that labor of love and that steadfastness in hope in Jesus himself, can only be found in receiving God's word through hearing and accepting God's word for what it is, and evidence then by walking it out. This will be uncomfortable because it's God's word and because God's word has been rejected by mankind. Before following Christ, we all started out apart from God's word, living apart from the truth that's now working inside of us as believers. So for us as believers, it shouldn't be a surprise that the word of God is anathema and repulsive to a culture steeped in sin and rejection of God, since that's where we all lived before God's grace brought us to life. Paul is exhorting the church here. He's also encouraging them, reminding them that they're not alone. We're not alone in, the, in this. We, we live uh, through this with other believers, and he reminds them that as a church, they're going to see that there's shared difficulties at work because there's people whose goal it is to stop the church and stop the gospel through the church. Look at the length the enemies of God will go to in verses 15 and 16 of chapter 2. We read here that they killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out, displeased God, and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. This should not surprise us that those who oppose the believers first opposed God. We see there in verse 16 their absolute opposition to the gospel and that they're filling up the measure of their sins. Now, this may be hard for us to read, but we got to understand that the truth of God's word includes the truth of God's grace and his justice. Sin must be paid for. It must be punished. And it will be the just payment for those who continue to reject Christ and remain the enemy of God. But for those who believe this payment has already fallen on Jesus, Jesus took that for us. These people Paul describes here are, of course, enemies of the gospel, but they're also people that need the gospel. And as they came against Christ, remember that on the cross, Jesus prayed for those crucifying, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. How can we see lost people no matter what they're doing any differently as we receive the suffering and realize that we are never more like our Savior than when we suffer in hope. The Thessalonians, these suffering believers, they were filled with hope through the revealed work of the Word of God in them. And they were partakers of the finished work of Jesus on the cross, just as we are when Jesus said, it is finished. Most of us are not going to go through anything as severe as what the Thessalonians walked through here. But in our trials, they are real to us. They are real to you. They are real to me. 
The hurt is real. The shame is real. The loss is real. The pain is real. They are real to us. And we have to know that in these, God is our vindicator and our hope. God is at work in us, and God still wants to use us to accomplish his work. As we prepare to close in just a minute, remember these things that we just saw from the writings of Paul. These Thessalonians heard the word from Paul. They received, they believed, and this changed their lives, and they rejoiced. But they suffered, and they suffered not only because of the persecution. Surely they did. And this hit them where they lived. But they also knew that there were those who did not believe, who were heaping up wrath on themselves, who rejected the word of God, who rejected Christ himself in the most extreme way that we read about here. The Thessalonians suffered in this way because the word was at work. Inside of them and that living word was the very heart of Christ on the cross, who while we were all haters of God and still his enemies paid the most precious price that could be prayed, that could be paid for our redemption. It was his life, the life of Christ, his blood that was poured out for us. Let's pray together. Lord, we are humbly grateful for your living word that you share with us, the good news of Jesus. And today, we ask you to work in believers. Call us to radical imitation of Christ that will be evident to the world and call others to you. Lord, we are so grateful, so thankful for the reminders of your work on Calvary, that Jesus provides eternal life to those who believe Today, call those who don't yet know you to faith, those here in our midst, those who are online watching, to believe on Jesus and be transformed and find a living hope in him. Lord, as we experience this distinction and even animosity from the culture that ever diverges from your good counsel, let us be protected from almost truth, from a compromised and dead word that would leave us hopeless and lost. Remind us, Lord, to love and to even bless our enemies. Today, we pray for those who we perceive to be our persecutors. May your spirit bring them to faith in you. May we, Lord, be humble enough to be used to love them well and even used up so that they experience Christ and his love as they come against us. We thank you, Lord, that as believers, this hope will not disappoint because the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the wonderful Holy Spirit given to us. Speak now to each heart and find in us, Lord, obedient and grateful children. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen, amen.